Sorry, I don't love you. A friend I've grown accustomed to. Cause with you, if something isn't wrong, something isn't wrong, something isn't right. Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. This week I have Max Mallet returning and we are talking comics again. This week we are talking Deadly Class Reagan Youth, which is the first trade in the Deadly Class series. So they each kind of have their, their own little name there. And this collects issues one through six. But before we jump in, Max, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well, thanks, Diana. Um, really looking forward to talking about this trade. This is one of the first uh, indie comics that I ever read. Okay. And uh, it was it was pretty interesting because I was, I was very DC heavy before I got into this. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah. And I was glad you suggested this because I had it sitting on my shelf and it was just sort of one of the many trades I had sitting there that I had not read yet. And I've been meaning to get into this. It's just I know there are quite a few trades out for it now. So I know I'm going to want to get the next trades, especially now that I've read it. And why don't we start with some overall thoughts on it? Personally, I found this really enjoyable, even though it's sort of one of those darker comics and everything. I think the way it was written and drawn, it just meshed so well together. What are some of your overall thoughts? Yeah, so um, most of what I read are pretty dark comics. That's <laughs> right. uh, That's definitely what I lean towards, and uh, this is no exception. Uh, but what I like about this is, first of all, uh, Remender right now is, is one of my favorite writers in comics, and he is very flexible. He wrote um, Uncanny X-Men for a while, and he's written this, and now he's writing... Um, Black Science and Low and a couple of other things, if my memory serves. Yeah. So he has a lot of storytelling flexibility. And even though this is a pretty dark story, he sprinkles it in with some really uh, absurd humor. Right. And I, I think that kind of breaks up the bleakness. So uh, I, I enjoy how dark this comic is, but I also enjoy the social commentary and some of the crass humor, too. Yeah, and that sort of leads into one of the other questions I had for you, which is, do you think this, either as a trade or just the first issue itself, is an effective introduction for the series and sort of what to expect? I do. I do. I, I think that when you begin to read this, you'll quickly realize if this comic is for you or not. Right. Um, simply by the name of the book, Reagan Youth, Remender is all, already sort of telling you his politics, and frankly, yeah. they're the they're the politics that most comic book readers have anyway. Um, so I don't think that'll deter many people. Uh, but throughout this whole series, uh, I'm I'm caught up in terms of trades. I've read through the first four trades. I think the fifth comes out soon. Okay, and uh, Remender is not kind to Reagan throughout. So I think that's the first thing that would weed people off. Um, it's called Deadly Class. So if you pick it up, presumably you know it's going to be a violent comic. Right. Yeah. Uh, hopefully you realize that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty unique. Um, I don't know what you want to talk about first, but for me, what stands out initially is um, Marcus. 
by right. our, our protagonist. Yeah. And if my memory serves, he his family is from, uh, is it Nicaragua? I believe so, and, yes. And so something that, um, a conversation that's happening in comics a lot these days is about representation. And what that means is representation about people that are not your, you know, stereotypical straight white male hero protagonist. And comics have made a lot of strides in certain areas, uh, particularly particularly uh, the black community and the LGBTQ community. But you don't have a whole lot of um, Asian or Latino protagonists. Right. And uh, Marcus... Uh, hits one of those boxes. And I think that's great because you, you just don't see a whole lot of that. And that's not reflective of everyday life. Uh, and I, I, I like that Remender chose to do that. Um, but I also like that Marcus is, is not defined by as a character by where his parents come from and his heritage. Yes. It's a part of his character, but, um, it, it's really complementary. It, it's it's not a driving force, and for me, that makes it feel organic. Yeah, definitely. And I think the great thing about Image, especially as a comic book publisher, is Image doesn't really have these set characters that have been the same for years upon years. So that gives their writers the opportunity to make their own characters, build up these stories in a way that they want to. And I think. A lot of times the criticism that Marvel and DC get is that they're still focusing on these characters from, you know, the 30s, 40s, even ones from the 70s and 80s. And I think for Marvel and DC, it's sort of hard to let go of some of those characters, because especially when you have a character like Batman, he's obviously this rich white guy. And that hasn't changed obviously in Snyder and Capullo's run we did see a different Batman for a while but it was still a white dude so it's yeah. sort of like I'm fine with Marvel and DC keeping those characters the same and I really love what Brian Michael Bendis did with Miles Morales becoming Spider-Man he didn't just go and change Peter Parker Peter Parker stayed the same and then he just had a new more diverse character take over as Spider-Man. He didn't change the origin of Spider-Man. And I think when you handle it like that, I don't think everyone will be happy f with it because there isn't anyone who's happy with any everything at the same time. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, if they add in these new, more diverse characters like they're doing with Iron Man and Riri Williams, you know, they're adding these characters. They're not just going and changing all of these origin stories just to have diverse characters. Instead, they're coming up with these new characters that do really well and people seem to really enjoy. And I think here you get a lot of that because, like you said, Marcus, him and his family are from Nicaragua. And then you have all of these different characters. You know, you have these groups of students that sort of are in their cliques, so to speak. And then you sort of have this outcast group that is way more diverse. And I think that sort of speaks a lot, not only to how high school can be in certain parts of either the world or the country, whichever way you want to look at it, but it's 
sort of realistic for that time period as well, because this is taking place in the 80s. Yes, yes. And because it's in San Francisco, right, um, it makes sense that uh, the clique that Marcus comes to have uh, has a black kid, a white kid, a Latino kid. Uh, he's Latino, um, an Asian girl, uh, another a Latino girl. So it doesn't feel forced. Um, right. It, it feels exactly how life would be living in San Francisco. I don't live in San Fran, but I live in New York City, and that's how it is here. So uh, it, it seems that that would be a, a pretty realistic portrayal. Yeah, and, you know, in the 80s, things weren't remotely close to how they are now. And I think he takes this comic, Rick Remender does, and he sort of just puts a lot of effort into that 80s feel, you know, I guess we can sort of segue this here into the pop the pop culture references that we get. You know, Marcus is on his trip from doing way too much acid and Mr. T is popping out of, you know, these places telling Marcus like, oh, come play the slots, come do this, come do that sort of when he's wandering around. And I believe he ends up in a casino somewhere. Yes. And I think Mr. Uh, in his acid trip, Mr. T drops a uh, I pity the fool reference. Right. So, and Rick Remender, throughout this whole series, and including this volume, I believe, uh, he makes a lot of music references. Yes, I did notice that as well. Some of which I get and, and some of which I don't, simply because I was born at the end of the 80s. So, um, this, I, I think if you were born a little before that, these are, are really pertinent references. I still got the gist of it, but right. he makes a ton of music commentary throughout this whole series. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of an extra bonus if you're a big music fan. Right. And exactly. For me as a music industry major, I was thrilled when I was seeing these things pop up because even though I was born in the early 90s, I have a pretty large knowledge of music that came well before I was born. So I don't really need to sort of dig in to try and figure out what those references are just from knowing as much about music as I do. It's easier to piece together for me. And I know, like you said, it won't be that way for everyone. But for me, it was just this nice little addition to the comic that made me like it even more. And just knowing that there's even more of this to come as I continue to read the comic, that gives me a little something extra to look forward to because not only is the story good, but he does these little things that just make it even better. And for me personally, I didn't really feel like there were any low points in this comic. You know, I thought, okay, I'll sit here, I'll read one or two issues to start. I read the first two issues and then when I came back to the comic, it's like I kind of just blasted my way through it because I didn't want to put it down again. I felt like that was sort of almost a mistake the first time I did it. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely an easy comic to inhale. Yeah. Um, it's I, I myself, I'm not much of an issue buyer. I'm much more of a trade paperback and graphic novel purchaser. Same. So, uh, for example, this graphic novel, this trade is six issues. So what I usually do is I'll I'll read three issues in a night. I'll come back. I'll read another three. Uh, some of them 
it's easy to inhale. You right. could read this whole thing in one sitting if you wanted to. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, it flows. Um, there are pretty satisfying uh, little mini cliffhangers and then a big cliffhanger at the end. So yeah. it, it definitely keeps you itching for more. Yeah, and, you know, Marcus is out on the street to start the first issue, and that's sort of how we get introduced to his character. And then he is sort of discovered by these kids and by this headmaster, so to speak, of this deadly class school. And I think even though it's totally unrealistic, I definitely feel like in the 80s there are people who would have believed that this could happen. I'm sure there are still people today who believe that and, you know, to each their own, obviously, but it's just sort of so well done for the 80s that it's like it takes you and sort of puts you in that time period, regardless of whether you were around in the 80s or not. That's correct. That's correct. Um, are we in spoiler territory, by the way? Yes. Anytime I do this podcast, I just go all out on the spoilers. If, you know, anyone doesn't want to hear spoilers from here on out, this is your warning and you will be listening to a very short podcast, but you know, that's fine. We definitely recommend you read this volume though, before listening to the rest. Certainly. So the reason I I asked that question is, is because, um, in the beginning of this volume, especially in the beginning, right. it feels like it's serving as a commentary on the forgotten. Yeah. Uh, and in the eighties, uh, frankly, the other is not all that different than it is now. Uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, um, it's, but it, he is making a commentary specifically on class and on, uh, homelessness as well. Yeah. And I never really put it together until just now, but I wonder if, the the very title deadly class is a common is, is if that alone is a commentary on class um because the way that marcus co- comes to be homeless is um his parents are killed by a sick person a mentally sick person who jumps off of the golden gate bridge and lands on top of them right uh on i believe they're on a boat and that crazy random chance um, orphans Marcus and it puts him on the street and he becomes, you know, one of the sadly forgotten people. And I don't know about you, but when his parents got killed, I thought to myself, like, oh man, like, here we go with the um, the typical, you know, Peter Parker, Bruce Wayne, I'm going to take the worst day of my life and wear it as armor. Marcus right. does the Marcus does the exact opposite. And it I mean understandably it breaks him. And uh he becomes he spends his 14th birthday homeless. Uh yeah. and I, I thought that was just a, a very powerful way of turning a the hero's tale trope on its head. Yeah, I definitely agree with that and you know, I know a lot of people have that thought that, okay, do we really need to kill the parents of all of these heroes? And in reality, because Batman and Spider-Man are such big characters and probably some of the most well-known heroes, it's not like that for all of them, but it seems like these heroes who become these big pop culture 
items and, you know, everything like that, they sort of take that and run with it. And I think it, I agree with you that it's great here that he doesn't do that with Marcus. He takes Marcus and, you know, you can see all of the pain like you can with these other characters, but Marcus doesn't turn it into something for good. He sort of just continues to be homeless instead of, you know, maybe choosing to go into the foster care system, which one could argue probably isn't a whole lot better, but, you know, at least you would have a roof over your head and whatnot. And then we see Marcus after he's been recruited to the school and they have a class assignment where they have to go kill a homeless person. And they they sort of frame it as you have to find one who deserves it. And then Marcus sort of just loses it and he kills this homeless vet and fails the class because, you know, this vet, they can't prove that he did anything. The vet is just talking to the two kids and he admits to basically, I believe it, he burned down a village full of people and Marcus totally just loses it in that instant. And there's no way to corroborate what the vet had said. You know, he could just be mentally ill or delusional or something like that. And I feel like that moment is the moment where we sort of realize, okay, this is what they were talking about when they first brought Marcus into the school. Because up until that point, we don't really see that moment. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. It's interesting to see the... I I, I heard another podcast, and accurately, uh, describe Deadly Class as sort of like Harry Potter, but more mature. Right. Uh, and instead of a school for wizards, it's a school for assassins. Um, it's interesting to see their, their moral compass, as opposed to... Um, uh, simply pure anarchy this is like organized chaos although the fact that the people perpetrating these killings are um really adolescents they're they're what 14 15 so that's when your hormones are, are raging and you are just an emotional mess so it, it's not a very uh smart plan but it's it's an interesting storytelling tactic. Yeah, and the class that I mentioned earlier, it's called Dismemberment 101. <laughs> and, <Yes. laughs> you know, they are very straightforward with this, with what this school is and what these kids are learning to do. And I do understand that the school is trying to take what these kids are and turn it into something for the better. But as of this first trade, we don't really see that. We see... Marcus has an intent to do that, and he thought he was doing the right thing by killing the vet, but, you know, it's still that fine line because he is still killing someone who said he did something wrong, but it can't mm -hmm. be proven that he did something wrong. And, you know, we've obviously talked very briefly about the writing. So why don't we dive into that a little more? You know, we mentioned these pop culture references, but I think Rick Remender just really gets the essence of this time. And each of these characters is so well written that 
we don't even need their entire backstory in these first six issues to sort of fall in love with this story or the characters themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have a, a favorite aspect of Remender's writing or just the story in general? I think the detail he puts in is probably my favorite aspect because while the plot itself is enough to get me reading this comic, it's like he puts in so much time and detail into each of these characters to give them a little something extra to make us pay attention to them. You know, we have Marcus in the car and there's the two girls, he's pining over one who will probably never like him back. And the other one. that That's, that's uh, Saya, correct? Right. Saya is the um, Japanese girl with the really badass arm tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, Maria is with another guy. Right. And, you know, she's with this gangbanger basically. And she is, you know, in the backseat and, She's like, okay, Marcus is never going to be with Saya because she doesn't like him. So I'm number two option. And she doesn't even consider the fact that she is already taken by someone. She just sort of goes after whatever she wants with no regard to what will happen. As, and as we see later in this volume, it turns out that was a very, very poor choice on her part, you know? Correct. All of these decisions feel like decisions made by 14 and 15 year olds. Killing exactly. a man, killing a man without corroborated evidence. Um, not even considering your psycho boyfriend when you find this other guy attractive, as in Maria's case. Um, everything is impulse. Everything is, is, uh, compulsory. And I think that's it's refreshing because um myself i'm a somewhat calculated person i feel like that's what i would be able to write best and i think remender maybe he is very impulsive but i don't know him personally but right. if he's not if he's not he's great at using his empathy and imagining how other people act and then writing um something that is different than what he is I think that's a very impressive skill set to have as a writer. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think with this type of writing, that sort of gives the creative artistic team a little more to work with there. And we have Wesley Craig and Lee Lowridge, I hope I'm saying yes. that correctly, on, you know, art for this. And it's not, you know, the cleanest artwork and it's not like it needs to be. You know, there are times when that nice clean cut artwork works, but with the nature of this comic, I think sort of giving it that little rougher edge and sort of how these characters look, it works so much better for this. And I mean, at times we do get some bright colors that sort of pop off the page, which we see in that Mr. T scene that we mentioned earlier, you know, because... Marcus is on this acid trip. It's like everything is amplified and they do such a great job with the coloring and the art there to really sort yes. of 
let you know what that moment feels like for Marcus. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. The um, Somewhat similar to our long Halloween discussion. By itself, I'm not sure I would be a fan of this artwork. Right. But it, it, it just suits the story, story really, really well. Um, the uh, characters' faces are... They're cartoonized, but they are not overly so, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. Um, this feels like the um, the R-rated version of a Saturday morning cartoon. Right. Yeah, I definitely feel that. And even just with the cover of the trade itself, you know, if you kind of look at that, you sort of have to go into this comic knowing what to expect, because in on the cover you have you know the main group of kids and then sort of in a reflection type image there you just have skeletons and i think they do an excellent job with sort of just taking this story and running with it they are going all out on the story the art the coloring everything and like you had mentioned this art wouldn't work for everything. Like if this were a Spider-Man comic, this art probably would not work at all. Even if this were something like some of the grittier superheroes, like a Daredevil or something, I don't know if it would work as effectively either. Yeah, that that's very fair. It, it I mean, it feel it's a strong departure from um, the. Uh, sort of DC or Marvel house styles, obviously because it's it's an image comic, right? Um, I feel like if it were one of those two properties, it would have to be something like Midnight and Apollo, Midnighter and Apollo, uh, one of the or like um, the Marvel Max series. It would yeah. have to be some, something that's a little more violent because I can't perfectly place it, but there's something about. Uh, the mood and just the penciling. Right. And I have zero artistic bones in my body. <laughs> so I, I don't know how to pencil. Right. I don't, I, I'm just learning how to describe art, but um, it, it's a hyper unique style. Yeah. And I think the closest thing I could probably think of from Marvel or DC to this would probably be Vertigo's hellblazer series i haven't read it but i've seen the artwork and stuff from it i do have one of the volumes by garth ennis sitting here waiting to be read and i think it's sort of that kind of grit to it as far as the story goes and everything because like you mentioned marvel max is sort of the r-rated version of marvel comics and vertigo is similar for DC, especially when you have those typical DC characters and it's not something like, you know, Why the Last Man, which is also a Vertigo comic. But I think I definitely agree that it just fits the mood so well. And I feel like if if we keep talking about how great this is as a whole, we'll probably keep saying the same things. But in this volume, is there a specific issue that you found to be your favorite, or did you just enjoy it enough as a whole to where you don't really pick out certain issues from this? I had a favorite scene. Okay. Um, I, I think because I'm I'm caught up with Deadly Class in terms of trades, 
Right. I think of it more in that way than in terms of issues. How, however, um, the first two issues I thought were real, real strong. But my favorite moment, I want to say it's issue four, okay. is where um, so Marcus's roommate is a, a kind of a, a little chubby kid named Shabnam, and there is a big Russian kid named Victor who's kind of like the school bully. Right. And they are um, in a, a martial arts class. And um, I think somehow Shabnam um, verbally embarrasses Victor. He kind of exposes him in a way. Right. And after class, Victor is, is bullying the hell out of little Shabnam. And Marcus starts to intervene. Things seem like they're really going to hit a boiling point. And then Shabnam craps his pants. Right. So, which seems like in a physical altercation, that's as useful as that character is ever going to be. Exactly. Uh, and I just, I, I like, the, it's that sort of boiling violence beneath the surface in conjunction with absurdity and a little bit of crass humor. That whole scene to me is like a vignette of what Deadly Class is. Yeah, and I think what makes it so great is that it's not strictly a dark comic. While overall it is, you do get these little glimpses that sort of just make you chuckle to yourself while you're reading the comic. And I think that sort of helps with the mood and everything because you're like, okay, these are still real kids. You know, they're going to have these moments of hilarity or what have you that it's not going to be so dark and gloomy the entire time yes yes that is correct um certain moments like when marcus's parents get killed that really hits you uh and then there are definitely more whimsical moments and uh some really poignant prose that remender delivers um he has quotes in every volume that are just really sharp um, societal critiques. And my favorite one in this volume is, it's when Marcus is talking to, I think he's talking to Willie, who is okay. the, the kid who um, claims to be a gangbanger from Los Angeles. Right. Uh, we, come to, we come to find that this is somewhat of a, of a ruse. That it's it's cooked up, and he he is not really as hard as his reputation dictates. Um, but Marcus is talking to uh, Willie about the popular kids in the school because there are several cliques, and therefore several violent gangs in the school, which is a whole different, interesting element. Yeah. Um, but Marcus says to Willie, "Civility is lying to people about your true feelings, hiding for personal gain. Popular people." Well, they are just the best liars. To which Willie says to Marcus, so are we really not, are we not friends? Are you just around me for your own personal gain? To which Marcus basically says yes. And that understandably pisses Willie off. Right. And I, I think the, I know I, I'm kind of waxing poetic about Remender's um, writing abilities. The last thing I'll say about that is, I think his greatest strength as a writer is he writes dialogue and banter 
as good as, if not better than anybody else in the business. Yeah. And before reading this, the only thing I believe I have really read from him was the first volume of Black Science. And while it's obviously completely different and that is more of a science fiction story, it still had those moments of banter and that sort of thing. And I think, I don't want to say it's sort of his thing, but he does it so well in so many different ways that he knows how to make it fit whatever situation he's writing about. Yes. Yes. I I think that you're absolutely right. And while I don't know this for a fact, I think that um, his writing Uncanny X-Force really helped in this regard because of that team atmosphere and the fact that he had to write dialogue between Wolverine and Deadpool, for example. Right. Uh, I, I think if you do that, uh, that is really good practice for going into the um, creator-owned comics space, which Remender is doing with pretty remarkable success. I mean, I think if I'm, I mean, uh, which one is it? Black Science, in particular, is pretty much universally acclaimed. Uh, I haven't read it myself, but everybody seems to enjoy that. I think Deadly Class is a little bit more... It has to be your flavor. I don't think a book about teenage assassins in the 1980s with political undertones is going to be for everybody. Right. Uh, but it's right up my alley. Like I, I'm, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think as someone who isn't as big on politics and everything, you can still find things to enjoy about it without sort of digging too deep into the political and social commentary there because you know it's just the characters he's built up alone are sort of a reason to read it and while the characters individually might not be the sole social commentary it's more of the thing as a whole you can still find plenty to enjoy about this comic and like you said he's sort of doing a lot of things right now and obviously with this still being ongoing and you mentioned black science and low it's sort of crazy to me that he has all of these ideas and is able to sort of keep them going as long as he, ha he has because this comic started in January of 2014 and when you get places like Marvel and DC you sort of see these things run their course because there's an agenda from you know people above the writers and everything and I think Image sort of gives him this opportunity to have these ideas run with them and like you said, he's doing very well for himself. So he could put in social commentary on one comic, not have it on another. But he seems like he sort of thinks these out to a great extent. And I think that's what allows him to keep them going on as long as they do. Yes. Yes. Uh, he's a, a very good planner with his stories. And um, some comics you read, or some trades rather, uh they can really crawl. I know that I've heard some people complain about that with the walking dead comic series. Right. But this, it's not too frantic and it doesn't crawl. I feel like the, the pacing is uh, just right. 
Yeah. And like I had said earlier, you know, I read two issues. And then when I came back to it, I was planning on only reading two more issues and sort of getting it into a three piece chunk. And I ended up just sitting there reading through it because it moved so quickly that I was like, all right, well, if I'm getting through this, this quickly, I might as well just sit here and read the rest of it instead of sort of forcing myself to wait when I want to know what comes next. And that's another great thing about trade waiting too. You know, you don't have to wait month to month just to get a single issue of a story. And while obviously there are plenty of people buying the single issues, otherwise this probably wouldn't be continuing on as a series as long as it has. And the same goes for Black Science and Low which, you know, these all started within a one-year period of each other. I believe Black Science was November of 2013, this was January of 2014, and then Low was July of 2014. So it's like he sort of got these all going at roughly the same time, and they're all still going. So I think that just sort of speaks to what we mentioned earlier about how he's able to take these ideas and keep his same writing style, but apply it to each situation a little differently. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, t- I-, I can't imagine having th- three create your owns uh, <laughs> come out within a year. So, right. <laughs> uh, m- more power to Mr. Remender. Yeah. So are there any final thoughts you have on this trade? Obviously, you liked it enough to keep reading, and I plan on doing the same. But was this one of those things where once you read it, you were just like, can I have more comics like this, please? <laughs> To a point, I don't think – so this this comic is somewhat of an outlier for me, and most stories that focus on adolescence are not going to be what I go for normally. Okay. Uh, it was the – for me, it was the, the politics and the uh, social commentary in conjunction with uh, a story about assassins that really pulled me in. Uh, right. So I'm I'm interested in reading more comics about crime and specifically more um, more indie comics. Uh, but this might be something of an outlier for me. I, I do enjoy Deadly Class. Um, it's it's not my favorite series, but it's definitely up there. Right. I I read this alongside. Southern Bastards and Saga. So three wildly different comics that Image puts out. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's it's not fair to compare anything else to Saga because Brian K. Vaughn is just an unfair creator <laughs> right. what he puts out. But uh, if you are looking to get into indie comics and you don't know where to start, this is not a bad starting point. Um, I do think that the older you are, the less likely you'll probably be inclined. You'll be less inclined to get into this if you're older, unless you just want to kind of soak in the 1980s if you grew up in that time period. Uh, so in a way, I think it caters to an older comic reading audience, right. people in their late 30s and 40s. But at the same time, I can see a 17 or 18-year-old kid picking this up and still finding pertinence with it today. Yeah, definitely. And I think having that sort of flexibility helps. And obviously, this is by no means a children's comic or really a comic for anyone who is not oh, no, you no, know, no, no. <laughs> willing to 
read and see the violence that happens in this comic. So if you're not really a fan of those sort of things, definitely stray away from this. But like you said, because these are teenagers in the comic, you'll get teenagers or people in their early 20s who want to read this. And then, like you mentioned, with it taking place in the 80s, anyone who was a teenager in the 80s might feel inclined to check this out to see, you know, if they can relate to, like you said, the political and social commentary in this. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the social commentary is more important than the political stuff. So right. if you are apolitical, don't let that scare you off because this focuses a lot more on interpersonal relationships than it does about 1980s politics. Right. And obviously, the whole reason this is called Reagan Youth is Marcus feels like Reagan is responsible. So Reagan is sort of the person he's out for revenge for. And I think that's an important thing to note as well, because that is sort of what spurs his actions in the comic. Well, I think it might be helpful to clarify. Uh, what does Marcus feel that Reagan is responsible for? I think he sort of just feels like, you know, obviously Reagan is not directly responsible for his parents' death, but he just feels like, you know, him being homeless and sort of, you know, how the foster care system goes and how the homeless people are treated. I think that's sort of more what fuels his anger towards Reagan. Yes, yes, I, I think that's correct. Um, yeah, exactly. The fact that um, things like mental illness and homelessness right. uh, were, they're still neglected now, but they were so taboo back then yeah. that, uh, yeah, Marcus blames the social situation in, in this version of San Francisco for his, his parents' death. So that kind of ties the title in with Marcus's story. The the subtitle, rather. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, this might not be the comic for everyone, but if you are someone who sort of wants to stray away from just reading the big two in Marvel and DC, any of the ones that you mentioned earlier, you know, Saga, this... Southern Bastards, which I have two volumes sitting on my shelf waiting to be read. In case you can't tell, I have this theme of having comics that I have not read. So I have a lot of work to do in that regard. But I'm really glad that you wanted to do this podcast because it gave me a reason to finally sit down and read this after it had been sitting on my shelf for who knows how long. And I don't even really remember how I heard about this comic. I think I might have started going to the comic book store when I came back to my parents' house last year. And I sort of asked the guy either the first or second time I went what he would recommend. And I think this was one of those things on the list. So with the image first volumes being 10 bucks a piece, usually, I believe more often than not, they are all $10, no matter how many issues they collect. That was sort of a great reason to also just dig in and try things because you might not get a full picture of a story with just the single first issue, which most of the time between DC, Image, and Marvel can range anywhere from three to five or six dollars. So when you have these six issues for 10 bucks, it's almost hard to pass that up as a way to just try and get into the comics. So I know you and I both 
mainly read in trades, except for when we are reviewing single issues over at Talking Comics. And I think, you know, Image gives you a good way to dive into any of their titles. Yes. Yes. It's very enticing. Um, I'm probably going to go pick up an image volume right after this, actually. Uh, and that 9.99 trade entry point is it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, you can pick this up for 9.99, or you could pick up uh, a cheaper DC book, like uh, the New Fifty Two Batgirl, for example, which I can't recommend enough by Gail Simone. Right. It's fourteen. It's fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. Uh, which is still a lot cheaper than uh, Thor, God of Thunder, Volume 1, which is $20. Right. So if you compare any image book, the first volume, to a lot of the Marvel books in particular, it's half the price. So if yeah. you're on a limited budget, I, I think that makes the equation very easy. And if you're on a really, really limited budget, you can even hit up Amazon or in-stock trades and the trades will be even cheaper there. And, you know, I sort of suggest that to people if they're going to buy in bulk more so because it's just more beneficial and it's sort of easier to just get a pile of books to read. But if you do have a local comic book store, obviously try and go and support them as often as you can. I know sometimes it's a little difficult just because money gets tight and whatnot. So there are a few options to grab the image trades for cheap. One, they're cheap to start with. And two, you can find them even cheaper a lot of times as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Max, for coming on. I'm sure we will definitely have a long list of comics here that we want to podcast about in the future. So I look forward to having you back on for more comic book discussion. And to our listeners, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.